This is The Guardian. Hi, this is Nasheen. Following the huge impact of the recent ITV dramatisation, the post office IT scandal, one of Britain's worst ever miscarriages of justice, has been centre stage in the news again. Back in 2021, we looked in depth at this story over two episodes and the shocking way the post office ignored warnings about glitches in its computer system and instead aggressively pursued prosecutions against its own staff. Today, we're rerunning both episodes in full. This is part one. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Um, and I was sat down, like sat down and the judge, obviously the nurse is standing and give my name. I was in the middle um, of an interview with Janet Skinner when this happened. Um, how serious offence this was and there was no other way but to... Um, is that your phone? Um, give, yeah, it is, yeah. Answer it by, by all means. No, do you know what? Nobody ever rings my house phone. Just bear with me. And then a minute later? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right then, cheers. Thank you. Hello? Hiya. I'm so sorry about that. Don't worry. This. Sent, go on, what? I've got an, a Zoom call meeting with the Prime Minister tomorrow in the <gasps> Scully. Really? Yeah. So what? I'm, what? I'm so nervous. <laughs> You'll have no, to get thinking. I'm actually shaking now. Oh, bless I'll you. I'll be so nervous tomorrow. Wow. The reason that Janet was getting that invitation to speak to the Prime Minister was because of a really shocking story. A story in which a beloved British institution used its might to target its own employees and set off a chain of events that would wreck countless lives. It would be one of the biggest miscarriages of justice in British legal history. When I spoke to Janet, I almost couldn't believe what I was hearing. And every time I thought it couldn't get any worse, it did. You couldn't write this stuff. You really couldn't. I mean, it is. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not already been turned into a film, a horror film. I know. But it just, uh, I think people think you're joking when you start telling all these stories. But it's just, you, th- you think it just doesn't happen, and it does. <laughs> From The Guardian, I'm Anushka Astana. Today in Focus, The Post Office Scandal, Part 1. Janet Skinner was 23, a mother of two young children living in Hull, when in 1994 she got her first job working for the post office as a counter clerk. To be honest, I don't really think half the time you knew you were seven because it was so busy. and You would just sort of lift your head every now and again because the, the queues was just continuous all day. 
I mean, all day. He was the heart of the community. He just got that day-to-day connection. It's personal. Finances are always a personal thing. So you get to know everybody and everybody knows who you are as well. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved that job. I, I loved it from when I first ever started. It was eight years later in 2002 that Janet landed her absolute dream job as a sub-postmaster, managing her own branch based inside a small shop on a council estate in the city. Do you know what? I was so proud of myself um, because it was a massive achievement going from working for somebody to actually just working for myself. By then, sub-postmasters had been asked to change the way they worked, no longer using pen and paper to keep track of their accounts, but a shiny new computer system called Horizon. Was it easy to use? Mm, no, not really. See, computers back then were a big thing. I know that makes me sound quite old, <laughs> but it was still like the AOL dial-up and things getting to grounds of being able to turn on a PC never mind knowing what goes on in the background of them. And did it seem to work okay? You would never balance spot on with it, never. You would always be down £20, £50 or £100. My problem started at the end of December of 2005, going into 2006. My office was showing a loss of £7,000. £7,000. That was the difference between the amount of cash Janet's computer was telling her should be in her till and the amount that was actually there. I contacted the help desk and told them that I had a problem with the balancing. You ring in somebody to give you advice, but then you actually realise that the person you're speaking to is speaking from a scripted book because you know that what they're saying doesn't make any sense and nothing helps at all. And so what were you doing back there? Were you getting more and more frustrated? Yeah, then what happens is you end up getting frustrated because then the amounts start getting even worse. It was a nightmare. I just cried. I was there until like 10 o'clock on the night. The, all they're bothered about is you making sure that that balance is nil. You, you've got to make it right. Say if one day your office shows like you're £500,000 short, they would expect you to put in £500,000. And, and where were you, like, week by week? What was this number getting to? It got to £45,000 short. Were you worried at this point? That, or did you think it was just something wrong with this computer? I was worried. Because, I mean, then you start thinking, well, I know I'm not stealing anything, but it's somebody else. Did you ask people around you? Well, no, you just sort of watch them, watching everybody you end up, like, looking at everybody else to blame, which is awful. So then you start feeling guilt. And I did. I felt really bad. Did you trust the post office? Did you trust Horizon? I trusted the post office, yeah, because who doesn't? They're a trusted brand, part of the Royal Mail. You put all of your trust in them. Richard Brooks, you've been covering this story for Private Eye. And it begins with a single computer system called Horizon. What were its origins? Well, Horizon started uh, as one of the very first private finance initiative contracts set up in 1996 for the post office and the, and the benefits agency to uh, automate benefit payments. It didn't work. 
it was over ambitious and within a couple of years it was kind of collapsing nothing was delivered 700 million pounds of taxpayers money had already been wasted and the government the labor government was faced with a question of what to do with it whether to just scrap it or try to make the best of a bad job um and it decided to try to reconfigure it as something exclusively for the post office to fully automate post office counters. It went live in 2000, but it almost immediately started throwing up problems. Were any worries raised at the time? Yeah, within a year or so, they were saying, look, there are serious problems with this IT. We got copies of post office board meetings in 1999 showing that there were serious doubts over the reliability of the software. Wow. So even before someone like Janet Skinner was grappling with this in a place like Hull, they knew there might be issues. Was anything done about it at the time? The response was to plough on regardless. The post office was a very sort of distracted organisation at the time. It was also being radically reorganised. There was there were management consultants all over the place under a project called Shaping for Competitive Success. There were all these sort of weird and wonderful management initiatives preoccupying the post office at the top level. You know, the, the, the snags in the IT system were something that they weren't too concerned about. Were there any sub-postmasters who thought there was something wrong with the computers? The first person who really came forward... Uh, was Alan Bates, who uh, had a post office in North Wales. He was one of the first to start using the Horizon IT system. And pretty much immediately, the, the system threw up what was called a variance, which basically meant that the amount of cash you had in, in the branch was different to what the uh, accounting system said it should be. He found a variance of £6,000, immediately after an overnight software update. Um, so he thought, oh, well, it looks like an IT problem. Post office denied that. He started trying to get to the bottom of it, had some experience in IT systems in a previous job, approached the post office, asked to look at all the systems himself. They wouldn't let him. He asked for more training on the IT system. They wouldn't provide it. But they still said, no, you know, you're responsible for these losses. Um, he said, no, I'm not. And they terminated his contract. And he didn't let it go, did he? No, he didn't let it go. I mean, he quite shrewdly spotted that there must be other people and started finding other people who had um, similarly suffered. What type of cases was he starting to see? He found out there were cases coming from all over, one in County Tyrone. Uh, Postmaster had a £43,000 shortfall that had uh, just appeared There was one in Appleby in Westmoreland, Cumbria. And another branch showed a a shortfall of £1 million, which was just way out of line. It it was just impossible. How were the post office reacting to all these shortfalls? The post office already, even before Horizon, I think, had a very authoritarian culture, which goes way back into their history, hundreds of years. The post office, given a monopoly on the Royal Mail in uh, the 17th century, that came with very punishing sanctions for anybody who made mistakes, lost the mail, lost money, whatever. You know, they came down on you like a tonne of bricks. Then I had a visit from two retail network managers um, in May 2006 
And I explained to him that my office was running at a loss of £45,000. Um, they said, well, well, what we can do is we can do a cash check while we're here. So I said, well, to be honest, I'd rather have an audit. So they said, well, what we'll do is we'll request the audit for tomorrow. They came in the next day, there was four of them, and they said, right, where's your keys? Then go through all of the cash um, while another one's going through all receipts, another one's going through all your stock, like your stamps. I mean, the office was quite small. You were sort of like stood on top of each other. And I was told to leave the premises and the only thing I could take with me was my bag. I wasn't allowed to remove anything from the office at all. I was I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. All my hard work was in there. Um, and they just said, we need your keys. Um, and now we need you to ask you to leave the premises. Did they explain? Did they say anything that was that they'd found? No, they just said, basically, just leave. Um, and just as I was leaving, I received a telephone call from the head office post office to say that I'd been suspended pending investigation and that I was to have a meeting with two post office investigators the following day. Gosh, what did you feel when you got home? Oh, I cried. I was in a way, I was an emotional wreck. My partner at the time met me at home. He just said, well, you're just going to have to hope that they find what's, you know, been the cause of it. It was just, I, I just cried a lot. So what happened the next day? Tell me about that meeting. Well, they said to go for a meeting and just, just to chat, find out what's gone wrong. Um, and they asked me to meet them at um, main post office, which is like a crown post office. And they had a tape machine there and they wanted to do a recording of the interview. But they said that that tape machine was broken. Um, and would you mind, if we ring the Bransome Police Station, would you mind going there? So I said, no, not at all. See, because I wasn't bothered about that kind of investigation side of it because I knew I hadn't stolen anything. So I went to this, we did this meeting, and then obviously as soon as they started the recording, they then read me my rights. And then I realised that this wasn't just an informal chat, this had just become formal but I did the interview anyway. What were you thinking? What was going What was going through your head? Um, I was scared, really scared. And then they obviously started questioning me in relation to what had gone wrong at the post office. Had I stolen the money? I mean, I'm, I think they asked me that about a hundred times. Are you stealing the money? What you do? You know what you've been buying? But it wasn't it was the police, like, it was people from the post office. Yeah, it's just two post office investigators. Terrifying. And so they they obviously thought you'd stolen the money. What were you saying to them? Yeah, they haven't. Do you know, I actually believed. This sounds real stupid, but I actually thought they got they've they've like done an audit on my office. They'll find the problem. And I thought they would, you know, find out what had gone wrong. Um and to be honest, they weren't interested. They just wanted to know if I had stolen it, what I'd been spending it on and how I was going to give them the money back. Did you tell them about the people who worked for you? At that point, did you think maybe they'd stolen the money? Yeah, I did. I said, you know, I don't know. I said, I just don't, I can't answer the question. 
I said at first, I thought, you know, it must have just been something wrong with the system. It's just lost that money or it was an error that was put through. Um, so I just kept saying, you know, I haven't stolen it. I know, and I haven't stolen any money. So there was like, well, was, somebody's taken it. It just magically disappear into thin air. <laughs> what happened at the end of that meeting then? Where were you left? What was the situation? They basically said that they would interview the rest of the staff and they would be in touch in due course. And that was in June of 2006. And so what happened next? I didn't hear from them until the August, but I was suspended without pay. And I just received a letter from the post office head office saying that they'd conducted their inquiry and I would be attending the uh, Hull Crown Court in the October of 2006. They said the charge was theft and false accounting. What I didn't understand is why they were charging me with theft and false accounting when they'd already cleared me of theft because, I mean, they had all my bank statements and everything. They had access, you know, access to everything that I had. I didn't have anything to add. And why were they able to take a prosecution against you? They said that it was my responsibility, it was my office, it was my responsibility, it was my right to make that office good, regardless of how much that office was short. Richard, you talked about the post office coming down on people like a tonne of bricks. What did you mean? The post office had this very serious investigation system. They, they had a very powerful unit within the post office that investigated sub-postmasters who they thought had stolen money. And it looks like they saw the IT system as providing very strong evidence for their prosecutions, much stronger than they had previously had. Uh, and that led in turn to greater confidence in uh, prosecuting any sub-postmaster who showed us a shortfall and therefore a ramping up of prosecutions. From 2000 onwards, they started prosecuting scores of sub-postmasters every year using the Horizon IT evidence. Um, and that continued you know, for, for 10 years. Why? Do we know why they were so aggressive? Right from the top, everybody was incentivized based on financial performance. You know, and the investigation unit was charged with getting results. Um, it later emerged all that they were using very underhand tactics to get those results as well. Uh, because if you, as soon as you got a prosecution, you could go for money. You could go for the assets of the person. They would often level an accusation of theft at someone in order to get that person to admit to a lesser offence, the, usually the offence of false accounting. But that got a conviction. And then they can use the legal powers, they, the much greater legal powers they then have to get their money. And what you've just said is exactly what happened in Janet's case. And one thing that really struck me was that, you know, she had these post office investigators, not the police, taking her across the road to a police station to record an interview. Why were these prosecutions being taken privately? The post office is one of the few organisations that can take its own prosecutions rather than uh, refer cases to the Crown Prosecution Service, which is independent. So the post office was investigator and prosecutor. 
which meant that it decided what evidence went before the court. It decided what the charges were. It didn't have that independent sense check, those reality checks or anything. You compare them with the type of prosecutions you would see following police investigations for theft. I mean, these really are threadbare. A prosecution instigated by the police and going through the Crown Prosecution Service will usually tell you things like what happened to the cash or at least give you some idea, some evidence. Um, The post office didn't bother with that. They just said, look, the IT says the money's gone. The IT's always right. And whilst they're going aggressively after these individuals, are they looking at the horizon and trying to figure out what's wrong with it? While this is going on, problems in horizon are emerging, but internally, and they're being suppressed by the company that's operating the software, Fujitsu. We know that within that company, there were people saying, look, there are serious problems here. But they had a a, a special team that was dedicated to just quickly patching up problems and moving on rather than, you know, acknowledging fundamental flaws in the system. And you say they knew about this. What did they know and when? Well, I think they knew uh, about repeated software glitches, consistent software glitches all along. And by 2006, internal documents showed they'd identified at least 15 separate bugs, you know, and they all had names. One was called a network banking bug. Another was a data tree build failure discrepancy. Another was called phantom transactions, which you would have thought might be um, a bit of an indication that something wasn't going right. And then it just carried on, you know, as, as the prosecutions mounted, so did the new bugs. Wow. And they didn't do anything? They didn't do anything. And more importantly, the Fujitsu didn't do anything, but nor did the post office. The post office was made aware that there were these problems, but said that, uh, you know, the important thing was maintaining confidence in the system. So they kept quiet about it. How many people went to jail? The post office operated very secretly. They told sub-postmasters that nobody else was having the problems they were, that they were special cases. So they weren't admitting that there were these dozens of prosecutions every year. So they lied to people. It's not not admitting. They lied. They lied, yeah. They, the investigators would sit a sub-postmaster down and when the sub-postmaster would say, it can't be me, I haven't taken anything, it must be the, the accounting system, it must be the, the IT, they'd say, no, it can't be, nobody else is having this problem. You're the only one. And that was what Janet thought too, that she was the only one. By then, she was being accused of stealing £59,000 and the post office was not willing to drop the case. Coming up, Janet is summoned to court. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? 
Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. It was private prosecution. I had to attend the magistrate's court in October 2006, and that was to make a plea. And my solicitor, he said, um, if you plead guilty to the false accounting, they will remove the theft. He said, you know, you've got probably less chance of getting a custodial sentence if you do that. So I did, because I thought I can't go to jail. You're basically being asked to plead guilty to something that you haven't done. That is quite a weird situation to be in, isn't it? It is, but I'll be honest, the law's not really something I've ever been involved with. So it's not really something I really knew a lot about. Do you know, it was quite naive, really. So I just took the advice that I was given. By this time, your children were a bit older. You had a 17-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. Do you know how they were feeling at the time? Um... I don't, they didn't really know everything that was going on because I wasn't, although I told them bits, I didn't tell them everything. When was the actual day of the case? I was at the magistrate's court in the, in the October of 2006. I attended the Crown Court in January of 2007 and on the 2nd of February when I went back to the Crown Court. I can't really remember a great deal about the morning. I remember, like getting ready to go to court, obviously with my partner at the time. He drove us to the court because we went to the whole Crown Court. Um, Were the kids at school? Yes. Yeah, both of them. I'd already been told I wouldn't go to jail, so I didn't really say anything. They just knew I was at court that day. Um, walked up to the courts. You just go up some steps into, through the glass doors and obviously I met with my um, barrister at the time. And he basically said you could be looking at a custodial sentence. What did you think when he said that? Well, oh, oh, I think I went into a state of shock, to be honest. Adam was saying, no, you won't go to jail, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, you won't go to jail. You haven't done anything wrong, you haven't stolen anything. Adam was my partner. Um, and then, obviously, they call your name out. And then I stand in the dock and it had like this big glass screen all the way around me. And the judge, when he read it out, I was given an hour for custodial sentence. He read it out like I'd actually stolen from the Queen. Um, and what that, do you mean? What did he say? 
um, that had stolen £59,000 from the Queen, had robbed pensioners of their pensions, um, how serious offence this was, and there was no other way but to... Um, and that was when Downing Street called. Yeah, it is, yeah. When you were answering that, did you think it was a scam or something? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, that is really, really something I just was not expecting at all. So, Janet, we were up to a really key point when you just got that call from Downing Street. The judge handing down a nine-month sentence for false accounting. Could you take in what he was saying at the time? So I didn't actually know what he meant when he was like giving, saying a custodial sentence. I was waiting for something like suspended or something. Um, but the gate locked and I heard the door lock on, do you know, where I was stood. Um, and that I heard that lock. And then obviously the, the security guards, wherever they are, stood up behind me. And he said, please rise, Miss Skinner. Um, and obviously you will be taken down. And I was just like, I was in shock. But the thing, problem I had was my, ba- my bag was at the side of me um, and it had the car keys in and everything. So I, I literally launched my bag over the top of the glass screen to my partner, Adam, because obviously he wouldn't have been able to get out, get the car. Gosh. And then they took me down to a holding cell. Did they and put you in handcuffs? Yeah, put, put me in handcuffs, took me down to a holding cell. Um, apparently my barrister and my partner came down to see me and, you know, I don't remember. I can't remember that day at all, apart from being handcuffed, taken to a holding cell, crying continuously, um, taken from there in handcuffs and put into one of those police transport things. Um what, taking, the back of a car? No, one of those big van things. And you get in the back and there's like benches. And there's like cell, there's like individual cell type things oh, in them. God, what are they like? So you sit inside a little hole, yeah, a little so, cubby hole? Yeah, it's like a little cubby hole. It's like sitting on a toilet. Do you know, like a little tiny toilet? Oh my gosh. This it's is horrific. Funny. Yeah, and I cried. All I did was cry. It's one of the... West, it's the worst day of my of my life that was. Where did they take you? Uh, I went to Newhall Prison. When you got out, what did it look like? Um, just a normal. It looked like just like a doctor's surgery at first, and then you sort of like look around you and realise that it's actually not. It's just all walls all the way around you. Take you in the fingerprint, yeah. They take your photograph. They make you strip naked. Um, naked? Yeah, they make you strip naked. They make you squat with a mirror underneath you to make sure that you're not taking anything that you shouldn't be. Oh, it's, my God. Yeah, no, it's not nice. It's um, it's quite degrading, actually. And I think the worst thing is, is when you stand there and you're thinking, but I haven't done nothing wrong. <sighs> Tell me about your cell. What was that like? Um... It, the, the cell, hang on. Um, it was quite, to be honest, it was off. It was awful. I remember that night when I tried to swing my kids. 
And I just couldn't even speak. They couldn't speak to me. And it was because they were so upset on the phone, especially my daughter. It was absolutely, absolutely in pieces. I'm so oh, sorry. God. So at that point, I made a collective decision that they wasn't going to come to jail to see me at all. It was bad enough for me having to have that memory, but I thought, I'm not going to imprint a memory on them of seeing me in jail as well. So I refused to let any of them come to see me. At all? The whole yeah. time you were there? Yeah. You obviously didn't serve nine months, did you? Tell me about when you found out you were getting out. Because for good behaviour and because I'd done nothing wrong and I'd passed all the drug tests, I was allowed home on the 12th of April. The only person who knew that I was going home on the 12th of April was Adam. He was picking me up. Tell me about getting out then. Tell me about that day. I just, I think I ran out of there. As soon as I they opened them gates, that was it, I was gone. <laughs> Um, I remember getting in the car and driving home. We went to shop. I bought some tea, I bought steaks, fruit steaks for us all. I didn't even tell my kids I was coming home. Um, so, and Tony had a job at that time, and Matthew was on a skiing trip with school. So, what I did was I got home, we started cooking tea. I had a car pull up near my house. So I looked out the window and I went, it's Tony, it's Tony. So what I did was I hid in the corner <laughs> so that when she walked in and you'd walk by the kitchen, I hid under the stairs. <laughs> so she would come walking strolling in, straight towards the kitchen, and I went, ah! And she went, ah! She nearly punched me in the face. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then we just burst, burst into tears. <laughs> oh, God. Such a, it was a lovely moment. <laughs> it's hard to believe that what we've just heard could have happened, that even as the post office was being warned about computer glitches in Horizon, they accused a sub-postmaster like Janet of stealing and then aggressively pursued her in a private prosecution, claiming it was just her whose figures weren't adding up and resulting in her being separated from her children and jailed for something she was sure she hadn't done. But here's the thing. It wasn't over for Janet, not by a long shot. In part two... Janet's story continues and hundreds more like her are discovered as the truth about the full scale of the scandal involving the post office and its Horizon computer system is finally exposed. Do tune in. We went to the post office and Fujitsu about this episode and I will read out their statements when we reach the end of the story. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Axel Cucutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Nicole Jackson. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 